to the smorgasbord. I am the unbeatable Tom Shapira, and with me... Hello, I am the revelation, the tiger force at the core of all things. I am Sean Edry. Yes, this is the smorgasbord, the official podcast of Seaports, the best online and on-your-shelf source for comic book criticism, reviews, previews, and some such. Mm-hmm. Uh, read their articles online, buy their books, or... For instance, you can read Shameless by Colin Smith, the impressively still ongoing series of reviews he does for the whole career of Mark Millar. Mm-hmm. That's some serious research work and some serious criticism effort. And, and it requires him to read Mark Miller comics, so I salute you. I salute you, Well sir. done. Well yes. Done. Uh, if it's okay, Tom, I'd like to start today's podcast with a moment of silence for James Logan Howlett. Isn't just James Howlett Logan? See you next week, Wolverine. Okay, moving on. <laughs> it's been a weird couple of weeks. Oh, yes. Tom, I'd like to share a theory I have with you. Yes. And, you know, just sort of tell me what you think about this. You know the Greek myth of the Grey Sisters? No. You have these three witches who only had one eye to share between oh, them. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah, you know, and, and they, they get in trouble because of that. Sometimes I feel like Marvel and DC have one brain to share between them, and they never know which of them is going to need it, because we just got done scolding DC for those dumb t-shirts two weeks ago, and literally not 24 hours after we wrapped up our episode, Marvel decided to jump into the stupidity pool with both feet... It's like one of them is constantly having to be in trouble, you know, and I guess with DC going cross country, which is really sad, like I, I just get this this image in my head of like they're all leaving their offices like in the Prince of Egypt and Michelle Pfeiffer starts thinking, you know, there will be miracles I, if you believe. I was thinking of Pioneer Days, circling the wagons, you oh, know. Oh, God. I mean, so they're going to Burbank. I guess they have their own problems. So Marvel decided to pick up the idiot ball and throw a Kamehameha with it. Okay. So, like, let's start from the top, right? The big thing that everyone has been talking about for the last two weeks. Fantastic Four being cancelled? Fantastic Four being cancelled because Ike Perlmutter is possibly the dumbest businessman who has ever lived. Or because their sales are incredibly low for a long, long time. Well, this goes into like... The, That's the less fun version That's of the a, news. Yeah, I mean, let's be completely honest here. Fantastic Four as a property... Not great. Yes, they have a historical significance, but I mean, they're not the most interesting or engaging superheroes that Marvel have by a long shot. I can count, like, on one hand, the number of runs that were really, you know, quote-unquote iconic. Like, Mark Wade and Michael yeah. Ringo, they were great, but, like, Hickman... Lee and Kirby. Well, Hickman... He's okay. Yeah, the question but... is, in, is not if we like to know. People like the Hickman run. He yeah. sold, it even had a spin-off. For, mm-hmm. for a whole year, which is something that Fantastic Four hasn't been able to support for decades. Yeah. But after Hickman left, we had Fraction Run, which closed after four, 16 issues. Yeah, something like that. And now we have the Robinson Run, which also started low and got lower and lower. Yeah, and I mean, it's James Robinson. This is not someone who is... It's not like, a hack. No. Yeah. Not by long... Although, he's had his he, misses. He had his misses, but... Cry yeah. for Justice, was it, or... He did, like, one that was really... That's... I think that was his... Cry for Justice. Let's not go there. But, I mean, he also did Starman, so, you know, credit where it's due. So, like, I can understand the the sort of business perspective of this property isn't really clicking, hasn't been clicking for a while. Let's take it out of circulation and see what happens. I mean, it worked for Thor. There was a period of time a while back, I think, like, right before or right after Avengers Disassembled, 
where Thor was basically yeah. out of the picture for yeah, a while. Yeah, and it's not because they wanted him. They wanted to, you know, kill him in the Ragnarok miniseries and then yeah. bring him right back. But they wanted Neil Gaiman to write him and then Neil Gaiman... There was a whole... Yeah, so because of reasons, it took three whole years for Thor to come back. But it and, worked. Yeah, and when he came back, people actually cared. They wanted Thor back. Right. But now Marvel can't do it. You know, whenever they kill someone now, yeah. Max... One year. When are they coming back? Is the first question you ask. Yeah. There's also something to be said for the argument that of all of Marvel's properties, Fantastic Four is arguably the one that has the most trouble adapting to contemporary times simply because, like, you know, it's an all-white team. There's one woman. She happens to be the wife. And there's a lot of legacy of, like, 1960s stereotypes that don't really make the jump to, to like, what a 21st century well, book would look like. Well, I think like. the main problem is it's a team book, but unlike other team books where you can add new characters, Fantastic yes. Four is Fantastic Four. And from time to time, they had, you know, they had She-Hulk, they had yeah. Black Panther, they had She-Thing. But all in all, the Fantastic Four is these four characters, so you can't really change the interaction very much. Yeah, that's and, the paradox. And yeah, yeah, and you're locked. And I don't think it's a paradox. I think it's a concept that needs a rest. Yeah. You know, give it a rest. However, setting the business logic of that aside, the rumors that have been circulating in the cancellation of the Fantastic Four suggest a darker reason, and one that is so dumb it just might be true. Okay. So apparently, this is, of course, Bleeding Cool, who, you know, has a success rate of, what, 20%? 30%? Now that I've said that, Rich Johnson is going to start, like, posting things on my Facebook wall. He's like, you know, I got this right. The suggestion is that Ike Perlmutter, who is a big honcho at Disney, is trying to get out of the licensing deals that Marvel made back when they were going bankrupt and basically sold the Fantastic Four film rights Uh, along with the X-Men, along with a whole bunch of other characters, to different studios, in this case specifically Fox, and that he is trying to sabotage the films so that Fox will return the Fantastic Four film rights to Marvel Studios. His method of doing this is by cancelling the comics, stopping all the merchandise. That's nuts. That doesn't make any sort of sense. No, that's why it sounds so true. Yeah, like sabotaging the films by canceling a comic book which sells <laughs> which sells what thirty thousand copies a month right yeah. now. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's not a dent on on the on the movie buying public. No. That's nothing. I, I honestly think that both Marvel and DC haven't quite figured out yet that the audiences that they're pulling into their films are not necessarily reading the comics. I, I think they figured out. That's why that this rumor makes no sense to me because if that rumor was true. They would have canceled the X-Men comics long ago. Well, the X-Men are different, though. Because the X-Men actually sell in pretty large quantities. Well, it is sort of going into this whole conspiracy theory, but the more I read about it, the more it seems convincing, which, for all I know, is how all conspiracy nuts get started. But what happened was that at the same time that this news came out, that Perlmutter had ordered stopping any reference to the Fantastic Four, Chris Claremont apparently slipped up at a con and said that there was a directive at Marvel to stop creating X-Men characters. Ostensibly for the same reason of, you know, not giving Fox any new material to work with. Now, Paul O'Brien of House to Astonish, who we have cited before as being one of our great inspirations for this podcast, he made sort of a, a comment about it that it 
doesn't even hold up in terms of the books themselves because Bendis has been introducing all of these characters, characters and, and Claremont has been introducing new characters in Nightcrawler. My immediate counterpoint to that was these characters are supporting casts. To the best of my memory, and admittedly, like I haven't been keeping up with the X-Men proper for a while now, but as far as I know... The last character to be introduced who was actually a member of the X-Men, as in they're considered to be part of the team, was either Danger or Pixie. I don't remember which one of them came first. That's a very, you know... It's a marketing thing. Yes. What's an X-Men, you know? An X-Men, an X-Men who... A person who appears on, in more than one X-Book would be my definition. As, as someone who is referenced within the world of the X-Men as an X-Men. Quentin Choir is... As far as I know, not an X-Man. Glob Herman is not an X-Man. Uh, a Pixie is. Uh, Colossus is, right? Like, there's a difference between and the student... And Phantom X is, because he was in X-Force, yeah. but then he was in Uncanny X-Force. Sure. Phantom uh, X is like Deadpool in that way. And it's, and are they new characters? Are they old characters? That's, you know, we don't know the agreement that Marvel had with Fox at the time, which I assume had subcontracts for what if we introduce this character? Who does this one belong to? I doubt they went into that much detail at the because time. Because nobody cared. Because, yeah, nobody cared and nobody no, no, expected anything to nobody happen. Nobody thought that you can actually make a movie out of the back the back room of the X-Men. Yeah. And I, I mean, I completely agree with, with Bob Chipman that it sort of worked out for us because the fact that Marvel Studios did not have the X-Men meant that they could do Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, they had to go for the B-list and C-list in order to... Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. But, I mean, these two reports coming in pretty much at the same time do seem to suggest... And, I mean, you know, there was this sort of tease at NYCC of, of like, you know, normal mutants again, some more... And we had a lot of teasers in NYCC, oh which were basically, oh hey, the thing that happened before, yeah. again, again. we'll reach to it. We'll get to that. Yeah. What we know so far is that uh, Fantastic Four is being canceled. This was confirmed. Yeah. Granted, we can say, like, you know, yes, there are legitimate business reasons that have nothing to do with this it's supposed a idea. Title. Yeah, fair enough. But I tend to believe Claremont simply because, and my memory is shot at this point, so... I know that he has slipped up at a con before and revealed something that he wasn't supposed to that yeah. turned out to be true. Everybody slips up. I don't remember what it was. But it's like, with him, it's like, you know, it's Claremont. I believe him. So, so since we talk about Marvel movies, you uh, want to talk about the big rumor? Oh, God. You're trying. You can't see oh, him here. Oh, God. There's actually oh, tears God. running from Sean's eyes. Variety has reported. They ruined my weekend, basically. Variety, you have destroyed my entire... Like, I cannot be happy for a while now. Variety has reported that Captain America 3 will be an adaptation of Civil War. A prelude to Civil War? Something like that. No, no, no. They're saying it's going to adapt the story and Robert Downey Jr. will appear as Iron Man as the villain. Now, both of us agree that Civil War is a bad, bad, bad comics, right? Oh, God. Yes. So bad. I mean, look. We, We can write a scroll about that. Civil War... Is emblematic of so many things that went wrong with Marvel afterwards. Like, that was really the point. House of M was crap too, and Avengers Disassembled was crap too, but you could at least sort of, you know, say, okay, Bendis doesn't know how to write events, still doesn't, by the way, but that, that was like an anomaly, whatever. Civil War is when it went all the way to hell. Like, they did things in that comic that when you look at them today, 
The argument at the time was because uh, Mark Miller was frat house buddies with Joe Quesada or whatever. He basically got a pass to do whatever he wanted. Because if you look at this comic, the things that they did, they practi- they pretty much ruined Iron Man as a character. Like, it For took a long-, a long time. They had to reboot the character in-universe. Yeah. They had to basically say, well, we killed that version of Iron Man without killing him. So they had, much of that. They was... had to reboot Spider-Man after that. They had yeah. To, they, they... Had, they had to reboot Captain America after that. They, Iron Spider, does anyone remember yeah, that? They, it was basically an Orbers because once Civil War ended, th- there was a countdown to when will all the effects be unmade because the effects basically made every character featured in the book unworkable. Yeah. It and was, it, and as clone, a bonus... Clone Thor, right? Yes, and uh. as a bonus point, it also started the endless run of yep. events that Marvel is still doing. That was where it started. You know, before Civil War, we had like... Four or five years without any event comic. Mm-hmm. And Marvel Comics were all the better for it. This was the Gemis era, right? Where yeah. he said he didn't want to do any of that crossover stuff because that was still seen as sort of the, one of the reasons why Marvel ended up now, in bankruptcy. See, see what you're doing there? You're making, you're making us miss the guy who wrote Marvel. Ugh. It makes me feel dirty to even say, like, you know, things were better in the Gemis era. But <laughs> seriously. Now, I want to talk about the movies for a second because, oh, God. Civil War. The movie isn't going to be the comic. Please don't. It's not. It can be. Please don't go there. I feel like I can live the rest of my life very happy and not see Civil War in any variation on film because I I can't believe I'm saying this because I know how it makes me sound when I say this, but I would pretty much just quit the movies after that. I know how that sounds. I know, but it's like... Old man Sean. Listen, like, Civil War. On the one hand, you're saying Civil War, there's no reason to expect that it'll look anything like the comics. It can't because it doesn't have the whole universe to support it and be destroy it. According to the report, they're doing the Superhero Registration Act, which makes no sense to me on any level because nobody has a secret identity in these films. It made no sense in the comics because it was never properly defined. You know, in every single comic that tied into Civil War and Civil War itself, they had, we are having the Superhero Registration Act. What does it mean? Uh, in one comic, it was everybody has to sign up to serve with Shield. Yeah. One that everybody has to, you know, give up their secret identity. Who was a superhero? A guy with superpowers? A guy with a super suit? It never made any sense because Miller never fought it through. It's, it's not even that he didn't think that through. It's that if you remember what ends up starting this whole thing is that a supervillain engages the new warriors in a battle and he blows up and kills a whole bunch of kids. Would the logical response not be to go after supervillains, who for some reason nobody bothered with in this miniseries? Yeah, would the logical response within the story of the Marvel Universe wouldn't be, we have that kind of thing every other Tuesday. Five years ago, Kang invaded the world and killed millions of yeah. people. Blew in up Washington, D.C. Yeah. Civil War, one of the reasons that I get so angry about it, like, if it had just been a dumb story, I could leave it alone. But you think about it in terms of, like, you know... What if the story had been that the U.S. government decides to crack down on supervillains? Iron Man is like, sure, let's lock him up, whatever. And Captain America is like, no, they're still... They have civil rights. They have civil rights, right? Yeah. But like, there are ways to do the story that could have worked, and they just picked the dumbest... Even the way it ended, getting dragged to the ground by the cast of 9-11 the musical... <laughs> Do I need to be sitting in a movie theater watching Sally Floyd explain to Captain America that because he doesn't use MySpace, that he's not an, okay, an, an okay, American icon? Do we really not, need to go okay, into that? See, okay, that <clears throat> bad comics, but the movie isn't going to be a direct adaptation, and B, everything of Mark Millar that has been adapted to screen up to this point, uh, Wanted, Kick-Ass, what have you, 
they changed the source materials because Mark Miller's Good. style, yeah, for the better. Yeah, Mark Miller's style is basically unworkable as a Hollywood feature film because it's so steeped in dark, you know, childish cynicism and what the Hollywood and it's dumb. Yeah, and what the Hollywood folk want is I'm trying so hard not to curse right now. Optimism. <laughs> We're PG thirteen. I have to keep remembering yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, you're right. I, I, I agree with you that it's highly unlikely that if Civil War makes it to the big screen, it yeah. will look like a Miller comic. But it's not, I it's just... Not, it's not going to be... We're not going to have a somebody bury the huge uh, Black Goliath in the ground. Ooh, in or, chains! Or cloning Thor. Or oh my any God. other... I just... Button-pushing bad ideas and images. Why? Why? They have like 80 billion... Stories that yeah, are better. They're gonna, you know, a Captain America versus Iron Man movie is workable. You know, I don't like it because superheroes fighting each other after years of reading com- Marvel comics is boring to me as a concept. And it's not done yet. We have Batman yeah. versus Superman coming up, which yes. is another thing that people don't need. And we have <sighs> X-Men Avengers Exus going on right now, which I assume also involves... Somebody punching another, which is not a They've been... Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there like an Avengers vs. X-Men mini event yes, thing like was. last year? Two years ago. So they've basically been like fighting yeah. <laughs> ever since. There's like Civil War superheroes fighting superheroes. We had World War Hawks superheroes fighting superheroes. Yep. Avengers vs. X-Men superheroes fighting superheroes. It's done. It's yeah. tired. What that suggests to me I, I is that... I keep thinking that in the Marvel Universe for the last five years, all the villains are sitting in the bar with no exactly. name. Exactly. And drinking beer like... Well, that's, that's... That's been a great vacation. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. We you can know, I got time to Nobody like, cares. You know, yeah. the years are punching each other. You know, I've, I got my retirement plan all worked out. My I've never who, felt who better. Who it? Should write a mini-series. Like, Marvel's <laughs> bad guys. What they've been doing for the last few years. God. Having fun. The conclusion that I draw from that is that Marvel doesn't have a lot of faith in their villains. Which, if you look at the villains in, in the MCU... It's justified. So make better villains. Don't you want the Peace Pot Pete? Pete uh, Peace I, Pot Pete. <laughs> okay. I think that's DC. Speaking, no, no, no. That's the, the guy that's who Marvel? became the Trapster. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of ongoing series, ongoing let's, series. Let's go on to actual comic book declarations because there have been plenty. Mm-hmm. In New York Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, was last week or this week? Uh, it's been going on for a while. So like, okay. let's say last week. Last obviously. week. So the big one, I think, big is the. Nicole Perelman, who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, is getting a Gamora series. Yes. Which means there's now four ongoing Guardians of the Galaxy series. If That's it ain't broke. F- four years ago, that would have been <laughs> a joke. Yeah. Four ongoing Guardians of the Galaxy series. A rocket raccoon ongoing reaching number one. Surely you just, sir. Yeah. Uh, no, no, that's... That's like that's actual existence in yeah. the far off future year of 2014. Since when does Marvel give up an opportunity to fully exploit a franchise? Whoa. But the interesting thing about Nicole Perlman, there's some controversy about her role in Guardians of the Galaxy because apparently, like James Gunn, the director, rewrote, rewrote her script. But supposedly, a lot of the things that people really enjoyed about Guardians of the Galaxy came from her. So the announcement that she would be doing a Gamora series really got people excited. And uh, I, I intend to well, check it out. Yeah, well, you know, the first thing, it's a character that's not that well explored unless you're a Jim Stalling 1970s fan. Right. So, and even then, she, you know, she does, so she's not like the Gamora yeah, we so know today. If you want to give some characters their own ongoing series, the Guardians of the Galaxy, also runners, didn't have that chance, you know, forever. Sure. So, you know, why not? It's better than another X-Men series or another Wolverine series. Yeah. Go tell that to yeah, Marvel yeah. because... Speaking, yes. 
uh, following the death of Wolverine mm-hmm. and the end of the Weapon X program miniseries and the Fallen Sun death of Wolverine series, whatever, we're gonna have the Wolverines, an ongoing weekly series featuring X twenty three, Daken, and I assume some other guy. Because we need a Daken, or another girl, Sabretooth and Mystique. From yes, whatever. yes, yeah. yeah. The Wolverine squad. Sure. See, remember what was like five years ago? They had Exiles. And they had I love a, that book. They had that amazing two-parter with the all new, all different exiles. <laughs> where the people who ran the cross-universe team fired all the characters and simply hired yeah. a, a group of alternate Wolverines. The, their computer tells them that the solution to this universal problem is Wolverine. So they just recruit a team of six Wolverines. Yeah. And that, that was a joke. And, and people reading it in Marvel apparently didn't get it was a joke. They thought, yeah, oh, like, we should do this. Yes, yes. The Wolverine squad. I mean, the Wolverine Corps, because it worked for Deadpool for the whole six issues that series ran. I like Mystique. I like X-23. X-23 is not much of a character, but, like, you know, she's interesting enough. Dakin... Uh, I mean, this is what happens when you're written by Daniel Way. Nobody can stand you afterwards. Wolverine died, and now we have more Wolverine than ever. Yeah. They don't understand the not? concept of death. They simply... Not in comics. I think in real life, the people who ran Marvel <laughs> simply never had that conversation with their parents, you know, oh, when God. your grandfather died. <laughs> They're like, death. Death is like when you replace someone with something because, you know, their goldfish died. Yeah. And they heard the word death, but they were so sad when they were kids, so their parents simply buy them another goldfish. And what they got from that, oh, death is when someone goes away for a while. And, and then, then he then, comes back. <laughs> yes. A little different, but basically the same thing. Yeah, it's insane. I'm, I I have nothing. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not. seriously. Who's writing it? I have no idea, and I, I don't care. I, can, I can't. Oh no! Wait a minute. I think it's our our old friend, no, the ubiquitous not. Charles Soleil. No. I think it is. Yeah, you know, I think you're just guessing because Charles Soleil writes everything. Yeah, <laughs> like there's a new book. Well, it's yeah. not Charles Soleil. Charles Soleil is right now more popular than the infamous TBA to be announced. For <laughs> Okay. And well-deserved. Yes. And well-deserved, though. He, uh, speaking of new ongoing series, ah. two new ongoing series from the Spider-Man office. Yes. Spider-Gwen from the alternate universe one-shot Edge of Spider-Verse 2. It's a miniseries. Yeah, but... Uh, oh, like her issue was... Was, yeah. The, yeah, number the, two. The Edge of Spider-Verse was an ancillary series to the Spider-Verse event where mm-hmm. each issue featured a different version of Spider-Man. So yeah. in number two, we had... A universe in which Gwen Stacy got bitten by the radioactive spider and mm-hmm. became Spider Woman. Yeah, like is that her official code name, Spider Woman? I, I don't know. Yes, that's I assume because everyone has been referring to her as Spider Gwen, but I'm assuming yeah, she doesn't yeah, call herself yeah, that. Yeah, that's the worst secret identity ever. Yeah, like, well, well, the second worst ever. You know, there was this British superhero called Captain Battle, who was in the civilian <laughs> identity was actually a captain in the army whose last name was Battle. Wow. So, you know, that's the worst secret identity. Wow. Well, uh, well, there's also Jean Grey. Yeah. Who was Jean Grey. She was Marvel Girl. Also known as Jean Grey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. So, Spider-Gwen. Oh, so, really, so, people really like the Spider-Gwen one-shot by Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez. That's an understatement. She has been getting... I mean, people were cosplaying as her before the issue came out. Yeah. That actually got me thinking about the fact that she's so popular. Jason Latour actually said this when they announced the series. It's like... The internet reaction and the fandom reaction was so powerful that Marvel basically instantly greenlighted the series. Yeah. The question is, there's popular, yeah. and then there's... Good. Internet. No. Internet popular. Oh. Well, listen. I mean, presumably the people who are getting hyped on it on the internet are the ones who are also going out and buying well, the book. Well, but, it's, but like, it's like, you know, the Captain Marvel, uh, Kelly Sue the Conic series, which mm-hmm. everybody liked on the internet, 
it didn't sell badly, but you know, reading the responses and what have you, Tumblr, Facebook, you know, yeah. thought it would be a number one book, a hundred thousand seller every month. Well, also in terms of quality, it's it's not as good as people make it out. Well, to people sound. read it like it, so. Yeah. I wasn't intending to read uh, Spider-Verse at all, but it's like, you know, the, the reaction got me interested, so I picked up the issue. It's pretty good. She's different enough that she's not really Gwen Stacy in any shape or form that she's we've not recognized. That. That's, that's you know, the main thing about yeah. Gwen Stacy for about four generations of reading now. She's not banging Norman dead. Osborn either, so let's take the win where we can get it. Uh, but, I mean, oh, I just, I opened up the door, didn't no, I? No, no, we're closing the door. Sins passed. No, let's skip that. But, anyway, but the thing with, with Spider-Gwen that got me thinking was, Peter Parker hasn't been back for that long, right? He, there was that whole Dr. Octopus thing, and yeah. then, like, he's back, but he hasn't been back for very long. And people are already, like, hyped up for the next Spider-Hero who is not Peter Parker. Which suggests to me that maybe, you know, the audience is finally starting to get sick of the old guard. The fact that the Fantastic Four are being cancelled and, you know, everyone was like, eh, whatever. I don't think so. Spider-Man isn't going anywhere that fast. It's just another one in line of enlarging the Spider-Office because they had Peter Parker Spider-Man. They had the 2099 Spider-Man still ongoing. Yeah. Uh, Miles Morales still ongoing, even though pretty much the whole of the Ultimate Universe shivered and died around him. Years ago, it, yeah. it keeps alive um, goodwill and prayer. I really do think that if they ever actually cancel Ultimate Spider-Man, Th- not they'll gonna, bring Miles Morales. They're not going to cancel Miles Morales. They just brought him into the cartoon series, the Ultimate yeah. Spider-Man. Again, this is like this is another character who is not Peter Parker, yeah. who is Spider-Man. People are reacting more strongly, which I guess, I mean, I understand. Actually, we, d- we would have had four Spider-characters if Scarlet Spider hadn't been canceled. They're trying. Yeah. And they also have Silk right now, which I'm not reading Amazing Spider-Man. I don't know who that is. But she's a supporting character in that book. And as far as I understand, she's a woman who got bitten by the same spider after Peter. So she's another spider character with the same... There's too many of them, you know. So now you're going to have one, two, three, four, five, six... Six spider characters. Is it that different from the way it was before, though? Because I remember, like, when there was Aranya and all that nonsense. Yeah, but Aranya didn't have her ongoing series. Yeah, she did. For five issues. Not only did she have her ongoing series, but she ended up usurping Mae Parker from MC2. right. Spider-Girl. So, So. so we're going to have three male Spider-Man, three Spider-Women, all at the same time. Well, you're including Jessica Drew in that. Yes. But she has nothing to do with this quote-unquote Spider-Verse, right? She's called Spider-Woman. They don't care. I don't know. Um, I mean, so anyway. actually, now that I think about it, all the spider women who have ever been, like, you know, Jessica Drew, Julia Carpenter, all of them, they've never been Spider-Man characters. They were always, you know, they happened to call themselves Spider-Woman, yeah. but, oh, well, there was one, but I don't... I, we, you don't even remember her. No, she, well, the only reason I remember her is because she was an alias for, like, one arc, okay. where she was drugged and, and, and all that, but I don't... As all characters on alias are. Whatever, whatever. So. I, I'll, I'll read Spider-Gwen... Silk, probably not, because I just, like, I don't know. Maybe if it gets good reviews. Maybe. Uh, speaking of announcements for Marvel, they announce one gazillion, bazillion future crossover <laughs> events, which we won't read because no. we don't care. Not just because we don't care, but because all of these crossover events, with one exception, are apparently, just from the way they've been presented so far, retreads of past events. Hey, they're having Secret Wars by Jonathan Hickman. Yay! They're having Age of Ultron versus Marvel Zombies, which if if it's not Yay. no official sites, I was sure it's a parody. It's like an Onion-style parody. And Am I Bill Murray in Groundhog Day? Do I have to relive this crap again? Vor- what? Black Vortex. 
That's the only new one. Yeah, that's a cosmic It's thing. a Guardians uh, X-Men crossover, if I'm not mistaken. Another one, because they had the trial of Jean Grey yeah. not one year ago. Yeah. And they're having the X-Men... Somebody put on a promo image with no more mutants. Yeah. Again. Again, some more House of M. Great. Why? I, no, you know... I and know and why. the latest one... Yesterday, uh, we had uh, X-Men Years of Future Past. <sighs> the House of Ideas. The House Ironic of Ideas. Get your foundations redone. You're leaking the House of Ideas. So... I, I, I don't even have... Why would I want to sit through Civil War again? I mean, I, I like Days of Future War. Past. No, Civil War was... Secret War. No, they have Civil War now, too. Oh, really? Another Civil War series in 2015. That makes... Yay! Yes. Right? Oh, by the way, if you want to feed that conspiracy theory, the poster for uh, Secret War did not include the Fantastic Four or any X-Men characters. Okay. Ooh. I don't care. See, I... I'm... I'm not reading it anyway, so I've been event fatigued since before the end of Original Sin. Yeah. I'm not reading Axis. I'm not... Oh, I got over it at Secret Invasion. I was yeah. like, nope, no more. I gave chance for Original Sin because it's... I like Jason Aaron, but I don't... Yeah. I, my How'd love, that work out for you? No. I stopped not because I hated the series, simply because I, I grew tired yeah. of the series and miniseries and times, and you have to read this to understand. You wouldn't get tired of it if it was good, though. That's, no, that's no, thing. no. You can't have too much of a good thing. It's like, I like pizza... But I can't have pizza for every meal, every day, infinite amount of slices all the right. time. So I'm tired. I'm sorry. I'm I, tired. No, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't even bother with them. Like, I, I hear, you know, Jason Aaron, he's okay. I like him. But he's doing original sin. Don't care. You say the word event to me, I immediately switch off. Because Marvel can't even say with a straight face anymore that any of these events matter or that nothing will ever be the same again. Because it's not true. The status quo these things establish... Don't even last long enough for it to matter. So, yeah. whatever, you know, just keep going through the spin uh, cycle. Speaking of actual new ideas, yeah. Vertigo mm. launches two new series. The first one is Clean Room by uh, Gail Simone and mm. Jonathan Han Davis, who drew for 2018. Mm-hmm. Always a good place to get yeah, your talent. It's about a church which, which has a mysterious new wonder drug yep. and a mysterious clean room. Gail this, Simone. This is her first Vertigo series, right? I think so. Okay, that'll be uh, interesting. I haven't been enjoying Gail Simone for quite a while. Yeah, we her talked book, about this. Yeah. So she's, she's not... But, but, you know, I'm giving her the chance because, as far as I'm concerned, New 52 DC books are editor-poisoned. Yeah. Because a lot of good writers provided bad work from that imprint, so... That's what started, like, their whole exodus back in yeah. the day, right? I mean, I think even uh, Scott Snyder left them now, right? No, no, Scott Snyder is still, still writing there? Batman. He's well, we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute, but, like... <laughs> we, we, we still have a lot of... We'll get to that. Through. Okay. But, um, uh, so Gail Simone on Vertigo. Uh, could be interesting. by uh, Team Seeley and yeah. Marley Zirkin. Mm-hmm. Drew uh, Madame Zandu. That, that was a good-looking book. Yeah, mm-hmm. Not writing-wise, but I mean the art. Yeah, was good. yeah, uh, which is about somebody discovering a cult which worships celebrities, and I mean worship in the old <laughs> sacrifice sense. Sure, that's a great idea. He's good. So the recent Nightwing series was has been surprisingly good. Nightwing? Yeah, not Nightwing. Grayson. Grayson. Yeah, right. And I mean surprising because I've been expecting it to be utterly, utterly crap. But yeah, it, it was good. It was actually you know a fun superhero spy thing. And they set up Midnighter as Nightwing's enemy, which is a great idea. Midnighter? Yes. From yes. the Authority. Yes. That's a great joke. I thought that that was a different universe. They've been bringing back Wildstorm characters into the DCU ever since the New 52. Oh, God. But that's a great joke. Well, He's well, basically okay. being hunted down by, by a bargain basement Batman. Right. 
That's okay. a great gag. That that actually, you, you're actually selling me on Grayson, which I I, I might. Actually I've been go sold on it, and now I'm selling it to you. I will pick it up. Okay, Marvel events. Yeah. Speaking of new series, which I'm now expecting to, and is forever joyous for their existence. Mm-hmm. Archie meets the Predator from Archie <laughs> I guess after he meets the Punisher, it's really all uphill from there. Like, you know, you... you Written by Alex DeCampi. Good for her. Yeah. The woman who gave us Drynos doors open at midnight and My Little Pony. Yeah. You know, that's a diverse profile. Uh, Good for her. Writing Archie meets the Predator. Who's doing Arnold, though, is what I want to know. Is Archie going to be the one going like, you know, here, come here. I want to see Sabrina versus Aliens, which is obviously... <laughs> is that going to happen? Uh, obviously. That's, oh, God. You know, when they when they finished Archie versus the Punisher, the infamous one-shot, they ended it with a promise of Sabrina meets Doctor Strange, which never happened because it was a joke. That would have been cool, yeah, though. That, that would have been great. Okay. I mean, I know that Archie's been going through a lot of very weird decisions lately. Like, Good weird I don't mean to argue, but I mean, they sound like, you know, they, they killed him off in one version and, and like in the other one. Uh, Zombies Archie. Zombie Archie. It's a great comic. It's been getting really great reviews, which good for them for trying okay. unconventional approaches. And so. the last new relaunch that I want to talk yeah. about, Sinatoro mm-hmm. by Grant Morrison. He's been trying to do this film miniseries project, Sinatoro, for years now. I remember seeing, you know, promo images as far back as like 2011 or something Mm -hmm. and apparently he grew tired of waiting for it to happen because now it's going to be a miniseries from Black Mask Studios what's it about? I have no idea the promo image is a cowboy with black lightning coming from him walking down the infamous Route 66 uh huh it sounds like a horror thing I'm interested I'm game It's Grant Morrison, you know, hit or miss. So I, I, I'm game for it. I'll try it. I don't know. Okay, and we're going to finish with non-comics news, I think. TV news. We did... Broadly comics related, but yeah. TV news. So at NYCC, they aired the trailer for Powers. Yeah. The long, 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 long in development mm-hmm. uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avenoming series about... Almost as long as the actual comic. Yeah. As the actual waiting for the new issues of Powers <laughs> to come out. <laughs> That series has been off the rails since eternity. Yeah. Uh, the series, in case you've forgotten, is about cops in a world of superheroes mm-hmm. working in the powers division. So, you know, they have to solve murder cases of superheroes and do uh, city politics yeah. with, with the local vigilante groups. The, the comic itself, we, we talked about it before, but I mean, the, the comic itself is really sort of like this artifact of the period back when everyone wanted to really subvert the sort of core themes of superheroes. When Wildstorm was king. It's no, it was was Wildstorm Wild ever king, though? It wasn't a Wildstorm series, but it was at the point where you had... It was an image. Yeah, but... They must be feeling so stupid now that they gave it up. But it was at the time when uh, you had superheroes meet X, so you had Sloop, Sleeper, which was superheroes yeah. meeting uh, Spy. It was the idea of, like, you know, you have all of the classic superhero tropes, and now here are these books that subvert them and, and, you know, and work against them. And, I mean, Powers really went, like, a long way towards breaking down sort of the things that we take for granted, that whole thing with, like, you know, the superhero who cheats on his wife and dies of a heart attack while he's sleeping with a groupie. His wife ends up committing suicide. It's this whole thing. I'm sorry, the best one-shot ever, the Warren Ellis guest appearance. Yeah. (laughs) Warren Ellis appears in issue number seven, speaking entirely in dialogue, taking from his then-internet columns. Yeah. 
and suffering the most horrible of fates. Yes. I really hope they, they make that an episode of the series because I, that I would be great. Would I don't think it would work because the general public doesn't know Warren Ellis. They have if, Warren Ellis guest star as a journalist. If they could bring Done. in Ellen Moore to guest star, oh God, that's not going to happen because he's... No. no, but that's the name people know. If you bring in Warren Ellis to guest star as the journalist who's presenting his theory, like that would just be funny. Okay. So the trailer came out. The casting on this show has been really, really interesting because, first of all, uh, Michelle Forbes is playing Retro Girl. Okay. This is Admiral Kane from Battlestar Galactica. This is Roe Laren from Star Trek The Next Generation. That's a this very is... different Retro Girl from one of... It's Michelle the, Forbes. The fact I'm that there. they're actually casting you know, someone who's... The first arc of ours is called... Who killed Retro Girl? Yeah. So that gives you, in the actual comics, she doesn't really have a lot of screen time. Not true. In the, fir- in in the, the first, first arc, yeah, she yeah, doesn't yeah. have a lot of screen time. But, like, you know, Retro Girl does have a substantial presence in the story of Powers later on. Yeah. So sure. the fact that they cast this actress, who I really, really love, was great. But also, Charlton Copley is Christian, uh, is Christian Walker. Walker. Did not see that coming. No. that makes... He's good. He's okay. In the, in the proper role, he's okay. Well, in this a- is the proper role. Assuming that they are adapting the first volume of Powers as like a season, which would make sense. With Bendis Comics, like six issues is about 20 minutes. If you yeah. manage to like, you know, you compress all so of the dialogue. That makes no sense whatsoever. Right? Why? I mean, like... You- six issues is one episode. Yeah. Who killed Retro Girl? It takes you longer to read dialogue than it takes you to hear it. So yes. presumably, if you took the six issue arc, Who Killed Retro Girl, would be... In my opinion, like what two episodes? Yeah, two. Tw- is it twenty minutes or forty minutes? These shows. I, I, it's a forty. You know, Probably forty because minutes because it's a cop show. It's two episodes comedy. done. So like you could pretty much do the entire first volume of Powers, which was its best in a season, right? Because I know that they've already cast Wolf Walker's nemesis, who shows up uh, yeah. periodically. I know that he's already in it. But anyway, getting back to the casting for a minute. So Walker was interesting, but then they yeah, cast the they cast uh, uh, an African American actress. As Zena Pilgrim and as Zora, Powers, it's a predominantly white book. Yeah, which in the current you know, climate of TV, not really. You, you you don't need any more, you know, monochrome casting. Yeah, exactly. Bendis wasn't really criticized for this back in the day because it was Nobody like you know, was criticized. Yeah, back it wasn't a big day, deal. Like, ten years ago, it was ten years yeah, ago. It made but a huge difference. It wasn't such a big deal for Dina to be white and for Christian to be white and for Zora to be white and Retro Girl. And like, in fact, I think the only African American characters that I read in Powers ever were uh, the Fuji's uh, uh, adaptation with like three African American superheroes, all of whom end up dead. It was like okay. not great. Okay, but, but so the trailer, I didn't like it. You didn't? It, why didn't you like it? I didn't like it because it was Charles Play doing the dark voice. Speaking like this, okay, doing his Batman impression. Why is that, that a bad thing? For me, that completely misses the point of powers, which was it looks light and sunny, but then on the underneath, light and sunny, you have Michael Avonoming art. It looks, but cartoonish. I mean, and the character designs are classic superheroes. It's not like they start off, you know, with leather and uh, armor. It's like everybody's wearing spandex. Yeah, and then you discover the horrible things that happen, and here it just sort of. Here is the dark story of the dark things which darkly happened to dark me, dark, I, dark. I think you might be misconstruing because on the one hand, Mike Avonowing's art was cartoonish, but the designs for, even in the first arc, there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of darkness. I don't think there are any scenes set during the day. 
that yeah, I can remember no, no, in the are. first arc. There are, there are. When? I think when we meet Kristen for the first time, he's doing the hostage negotiation in daylight. You know, the guy breaks out through the roof, and it's the sun. Yeah, even, it does take a lot that, of... You know, like or hate the Brian Michael Bendis dialogue, and mm-hmm. at the time, it was... It was good at the time. It was Because people time. hadn't seen it before. Yeah. Well, it was David Mamet inspired, and here, yeah. you're not doing a David Mamet. You, know, you, you couldn't do it in David Mamet style, though. People would get sick and tired of it. David what? Mamet. Just not I, in comics. I like David Mamet. On stage, but in would film. you like David Mamet in a serial format, forty minutes every single week? You get I, tired. I kind of like the unit that was David Mamet series. Think of it this way: people got sick of Bendis at some point, right? With his dialogue ticks, mm-hmm. people got tired of it. It took a lot longer for people to get over it in comics than it would in TV. Like if you were watching an episode every single week and the dialogue was Bendis style, was was you'd like be like done. Like you mean in the style of the, the, the thing. Yeah, yeah. The Bendis the style. Thing. The thing? Yeah, the thing. The style? Yeah. The Indeed. style. True. The style Yes. I mean that <laughs> that's that's how it is though, right? I remember there was that dialogue uh, in uh, Daredevil. They go through this back and forth and then Matt suddenly screams out Breaking the law in public or something for absolutely no reason that makes sense. So, I mean, I can understand why they would be going for a different dialogue style. Something more contemporary. The characters seem great. The sensibility is a little different. Yes, like, I saw uh, Michelle Forbes, like, in costume, right? She doesn't dress up with, like, a cape and, like, you know, short, sash, short she skirt. Sash, right? She was No, she was wearing, like, this, this long uh, white coat. Okay. The aesthetic is different. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing for a TV adaptation. If this were an animated series, then I would say just copy Wiming's style. But here, like, you know, if you're doing live action, you can still get away with undermining the core themes without visibly paying homage to, you know, Kirby's 1960 designs. You don't need capes. It's like Edna Mode. No capes. You don't need it. So I, I mean, and I watched it and I was like, you know what? I want to see this show. I'm going to give it a shot, but I'm not very optimistic. It looks good so far. I don't know. Okay, we had plenty of news. Yeah, so much news. We can talk actual comics now, I think. Comics came out, believe it or not, during NYCC. You want to introduce the first one? Sure. So, uh, in keeping with our usual preference for, like, number ones and and jumping on points in general, we've decided to review three issues. Nothing came out this week that was actually particularly interesting. Aside from ongoing series. We're doing last week's stuff. Yeah, so this this is all last week. There were some pretty interesting releases last week. So the first issue we'll talk about is Clarion number one. Yeah. Written by Anne Nascenti, art by Trevor McCarthy. And Guy Major in the coloring. Yeah. So... Disclaimer. 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 I know practically nothing about Clarion the Witch Boy. I know he was in Seven Soldiers, but I dropped that halfway through. I've read that, but I think it's a completely different version. Probably. Because it's a new 52 book. He was in a really weird episode of Batman the Animated Series with Etrigan. Yeah. It wasn't weird. It was basically an episode of the ongoing adventures of Etrigan guest starring Batman. It came yeah, out of nowhere. I don't... Like, I remember watching that episode and I'm like, am I watching the right show? And Etrigan didn't rhyme, which was... No! Batman. And that was so wrong! That was a crime. He didn't rhyme on, on Justice League also, on the Justice League cartoon. Yeah, it's like... Why? I know that there are versions of Etrigan that The original rhyme, version didn't rhyme. But Demon Knight rhymed. But, I mean, Demon Knight came a lot later. Uh, he was in Alan rhymed. Moore. He yeah. was in Swamp Thing. Alan and Moore. And he rhymed. Neil Gaiman, Sandman. He rhymed, you know. Yeah. Uh, was he, he was in Sandman? He was the guy who got the Morpheus through hell the first time he came to visit. 
Right, right. How did I forget when, that? When Dead was still a DC series and not a yeah, thing. Yeah, I remember that. Wow, okay, wow, I completely blanked out on that. I need to reread Sandman, is what I need to do. Okay. <laughs> That's Resolute. your project for next time. That's my project for next, for next time. time. But okay, so Clarion, uh, I'm approaching this sight unseen. It's a number one, and I figure, like, you know, enough time has passed that I can forgive Anna Senti for Daredevil. Because that thing... You you know the scene I'm talking about, right? I think I, think I do, but yeah. I haven't read her. <laughs> I know it's only through rumors and reviews. She, oh, but it, it wasn't a mistake. Like basically, what happened was I read Frank Miller's Daredevil. Yeah. The next major run after Frank Miller was Anasenti. Yes. Which started off interesting because she introduced Typhoid Mary, who's one of my favorite Daredevil characters. But she also had that thing where, like, you know, she had to soapbox a lot. Issue of the week. There's a scene... She's all... Nisianti does that, in, yeah. I think, just about anything. There's a scene... Daredevil is fighting in an... I'll, I'll never forget this. Like, you know, the Daredevil is fighting in an alley against... I don't even remember who it was. And some woman walks up to him in the middle of the fight and starts talking to him about the dangers of dumping toxic waste. That was like, what... Is this panel in the wrong page? What What's going on? And she did this a lot, and, and it sort of turned me off... Because she's not, like, a bad writer, but... She soapboxes, and it's annoying as hell. But I figure, you know, enough time has passed. Let's try it now. There isn't a lot of soapboxing here. No. What's the plot about? Why did you ask me that question? Because (laughs) that assumes that I understood it. No, no, no. (laughs) Okay, this is... (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So, this is the number one. We are not meant to know anything about this version of Clarion. And indeed, it does seem to be like a different version of it. This is like the new 52 Clarion, whatever that counts for. So the first half of this issue made sense to me. It starts off with Clarion running away from his home universe, which is basically a place... The way that he describes it is it's a place where magic is common. Commonplace. Commonplace. You know, it's everywhere. He's sick and tired of the rules of magic, and he decides to just take off and explore the multiverse, which is a great start for any character. Like, you know, that's a great starting point. He goes to this junction in the multiverse somewhere, I guess, and he gets picked up... By Beelzebub the Barber. I don't, I'm, I don't yes, know. Yes. I don't, okay, whatever. Like, okay, Let's set that aside for a second. They end up going to a place called Chaos, which from what I can tell is some kind of techno-magical city. Like, it's a place where science and magic are coexisting, and in comes Clarion, and this is sort of the part where I, I lose the plot. He makes two friends, right? Zell and Rasp were like these two kids. One of them is bullied because yeah. NCNT. Anasendi. Well, not really. Like, Anasendi. We say one of the kids is bullied. Uh, bullying is going yeah, to be a yeah. theme in okay. today's comics, so it's not just Anasendi who's doing it. Okay. And, and she doesn't, to her credit, there's no bullies are bad speeches here. Clarion intervenes, obviously, but he doesn't then go on a monologue of like, you know, oh, the horrors of bullying. Here Here's we go. The, the statistics I've read yeah. about, the, about bullying in the United States. Exactly. Which, for the record, people, bullying is bad, yes, but we don't need to be told that. It's like when Peter David used to give those, you know, he had J. Jonah Jameson give those speeches about Islamophobia in X Factor. Like, well... Well, at that time, some people needed to be reminded. Not in the context of, like, stopping the issue for a page-long dialogue, but anyway, okay. Okay. This is sort of where I stopped understanding what was happening, because there's this faction of people who are after Clarion for reasons that are not entirely... I don't know what they are. Like, on the one hand, they're demons, but on the other hand, they're in a club, and they drug one of uh, Clarion's new friends, and... He makes friends pretty fast for a guy who just moved from one universe to another, and nobody basically wonders about him. Yeah. Oh, you make, 
You met Belzebub the Barber, yes, obviously. That There's like a line there where somebody tells him, don't use magic like freely or whatever, but... Then he does, and nobody... He does, and nothing happens. Yes. It, it's, it's I weird. don't understand the universe they're setting. No. This it, was the major issue I had. And o- you, over the you course think of the... that because it's basically a continuity-free reboot, because yeah. it, it's not tied in as, as far as I know to any no. ongoing DC universe something or other... I mean, I, I know I that still... chaos exists in, like, Grant Morrison's view of the multiverse, but okay. I don't think... Yeah, that... but I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Look, when you look back at all the number ones that we reviewed for this podcast, I think that we've sort of established that there are two extremes, right? There's the number one that tries to do too much, and there's the number one that doesn't do enough. And I think we do sort of have a problem where Nesenti is really trying to cover all of the bases... And as a result, she's like spreading herself too thin because not only we don't get a clear idea of what this chaos is, like what are the stakes, but also I think the problem is we don't get enough of Clarion. He starts off seeming like an anarchist. He he wants to, I think the phrase that he uses is he wants to kick up dust, right? He wants yeah. to uh, go, he wants to cause trouble. He aims to misbehave. Exactly. He aims to misbehave, which is great. Like that's a great starting point for a character. Like immediately afterwards, he meets this girl. And then he meets his friend, and he, he saves his friend from bullies, and the, the friend ends up being mind-controlled or it's something. Not, it doesn't read like someone moving to a whole new universe. It reads like a kid moves away to a new school. Yeah, we, and having seen this with Gotham Academy last time... Yeah, but Gotham Academy made sense in its own universe. Yeah, Gotham Academy did not have to, too, have to define Gotham. Y- like, your you know problem what Gotham, Gotham Academy was too grounded and familiar, and the problem with this one is basically the other way around. Granted that it's only the first issue. I would have wanted one, for Nesenti to do one of two things. Either establish Clarion himself clearly enough that I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but he is compelling enough as a protagonist, so I want to know what happens to him. Or go the other way around. It's like, Clarion, not so important, but, you know, there's this... And I mean, the artwork is amazing for this book. Like, when you see Trevor chaos... Trevor McCarthy is really good designer. Yeah. I have a bit of a problem with the movements and the page layouts. They're, yeah. Again, they're a bit too chaotic. But again, like, for the purposes of establishing chaos as, like, a new setting, this bizarre city that half magic, half technology... That's, yeah, he's a very good He's one. good. And it's like, I would have liked to have one of those two things. Like, either understand chaos more clearly or understand Clarion more clearly. Because right now I don't have either. And I'm like, the, the issue even ends on like this really abrupt note where these two characters are just standing up. Should we get involved? Yes. And then they teleport into the end. To be continued. That, I don't really... That, that happens. Yeah, like I get to the end of the issue and it's like, what do I really know about... What just happened? Yeah, I, I was underwhelmed, mm-hmm. and after the first issue, I don't care enough to go into the second issue. Me neither. Nesenti is better than she used to be. She doesn't fall into the drug. Well, yet, right? This is issue number one. If issue number two starts with the lecture on how, like, you know, drugs are bad, okay? Uh, Isn't she edited High Times? I don't think she's going to do that. I don't know. I think she edited High Times. I don't know. If she doesn't soapbox, then at the very least, you can say, you know, she has grown as a writer. But she's still not at the point where I feel like, yeah, I'd be willing to come back for issue two. Because I'm not. I'm, I'm really not. Okay. Uh, the other new DC series about a person... Semi-new. Li- uh, this should have been another one. <laughs> yeah. well, it's not, which is why I prefer DC to Marvel. Anyway, it's another series from DC about someone leaving their familiar territory to a new ground, meaning new friends. But it's so much better. It's so much better. Bad Girl number 35. Yeah. Not a relaunch. It's just a new version of the series... 
Every, every There's direction. a term for that. I don't know yeah. what it is though. Like, because they used changing, to do this. Changing, changing creators. the guard. Yeah, changing creators, which is yeah. something that happened without needing to reboot. Anyway, number 35, written by Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher, mm-hmm. art by Babstar and Cameron Stewart, who does the breakdowns. Yeah, Babstar's design. Wow, that is a real mouthful to. Babstar's redesign for Batgirl set the internet on fire when like it was the, first Like debuted. the Spider Gwen thing. Yeah, like. Yeah. The design was so sensible and so, like, you know, no it's, more boob windows. We it, don't need to. It was, no. They would have gotten around to it. Anyway, actually. it wasn't, it wasn't a radical design. It wasn't a complete, it was just lighting Grounded. up the tones, you know, changing the symbols a bit. Yeah, you know, like, about. she wears sensible boots. If nothing else, uh, from this issue, we learned that Webstar is a very good artist. Yes. Not only in the sense of redesigning a new main character. How big is Cameron Stewart's, you know, contribution? Because they're saying breakdown, so what? He, does he do all the layouts? Does he do the panel design? You know, does she only do the character work, the faces? Because it's good, it's good character work, but how? Yeah. I would really want to see it, you know, to see right. who does what. There's no stylistic clash between them. Like, you can't tell by looking at the issue that there are two. You can't tell it's a Cameron Stewart comic. And again, Cameron Stewart, great artist. Mm-hmm. Ridiculously great artist. Yeah. Uh, Webstar, also good artist. Yeah. Not yet, I think... They, their styles are different. Yeah. But I think here, like, you know, if, if Cameron Stewart is influencing the art style, you can't tell just by looking at the if, issue. If it didn't have the DC logo on the cover and it wasn't called Bad Girl, I would have assumed it's an book. I would have gone with Image, actually. Yeah. I, no, I think but, that... No, the actual design, I think it, it's a very Oni-like thing. Hmm. Mostly because I, I always think of Oni as the hipster kids <laughs> of comics. And what happens in this issue, issue is that Bad Girl... Following, I have no idea what happened. I don't know. In the last issues of the I Gail don't Simone care book. either. Uh, she was that Gail Simone before Cameron yeah, Stewart? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Gail uh, Simone did the whole thirty-four first issues. Oh, except for I think two or three where she was replaced and then rehired. Do you remember that? I, I remember. They fired that, yeah. her and then rehired. They mark anyway, waited her basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I didn't like the Gail Simone run, so I didn't bother. Me neither. Anyway, she moves away from her part of Gotham mm-hmm. to Burnside, which is basically the hipster Gotham. Yeah, and. She meets her new roommates. Mm-hmm. She makes uh, a reacquaintance with Black Canary, who basically barges in from the plot of Birds of Prey. Is Birds of Prey still ongoing? No, I, I think they're, I th- they're mentioning plot points from Birds of Prey. I don't think it's Birds of Prey. I no, think no, it's, they it's actually, Batgirl. No, they actually side in, you know, as seen in Birds of oh, Prey. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the editor box is back. Good. Yeah. It has its uses, especially today. But uh, um, and there's yeah. also so, and there's also a plot for this issue, which is about somebody called Black Riot, right? Black, Black Riot, who steals women's uh, details yeah. and identities and it's revenge porn. online and publishes them. Yeah. You know, for very very see. ripped from the headlines. Yeah. This is going to sound like a criticism, but it's not. Uh, Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher's version of Barbara Gordon. It's the same problem I had with Spider-Gwen. Like, I look at this character and I know that she's meant to be Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl, but I don't recognize anything in her of the Barbara Gordon in That's my head. been written by Gail Simone ever since Barbara Or any, friend. even yeah. before Gail Simone. Like, you know, I, I don't look at her and think, like, you know, this is Batgirl. But that can also be a good thing because, you know, for all that it's issue number 35, we can treat it as a number one. And within the context of the issue, I think Stuart and Fletcher do a great job of setting her apart and making her distinct. Because what makes this version of Batgirl unique, from my perspective, is the fact that her main asset is not shark-repellent bat spray. It's her mind. 
Right, her photographic memory. She's Sherlock Holmes. She's the Robert she's, Downey Jr. Sherlock yeah. Holmes now. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, she's not quite as crazy as Robert Downey Jr. in, in Sherlock Holmes. But I mean, it, it's her mental and cognitive capabilities that allow her to do her work. She does beat people up in this book. She has total recall. She can yeah. anticipate stuff. There's this great double page spread where she mentally reconstructs the entire party that she was at, despite the fact that she was blind drunk at the time. And she, you know, she manages to sort of piece together what's been going on. If she's been on hand, we wouldn't have the hangover one, two, three. So <laughs> yeah, she'd be like, well, I'll tell you she, where. She'd solve all those bad movies right yeah. away. Yeah, like they come there and like, so Barbara, have you seen? he's on the roof. The movie's over. Go Thank home. you. Thank you. I didn't like the hangover. Me neither. Th- that's like a good job of, because Batman doesn't do that anymore. Like, I, I don't remember seeing... At any actually, point in the past five years, has he ever Batman, actually done detective work? He's, he does it. He just feeds it all to the bad computer. Like, bad computer discovers yeah. stuff. Yeah. Going back to Batgirl, there is sort of an emphasis to say, you know, she is not the whole, you know, hanging over the gargoyles while it's raining in Gotham. Mm-hmm. So there is sort of an attempt to set her apart, which I appreciated. This book surprised me because when I picked it up, I did not expect to want to read the next issue, and I do. I do. I added it to my pull list. I'm like, I want to... We're back to a first issue covering all the bases properly. Because A, this version of Barbara Gordon, I may not recognize her, but I appreciate her for what She's we see. She's a character. You yeah. understand that version of the character. The, like, you, you mentioned uh, Black Canary shows up, yeah. right? She has this pre-existing relationship with Dinah that I, as a reader, don't necessarily know anything about. But within, like, a couple of panels, it's established, right? They're best friends. Barbara screwed up big time. They had some kind of big falling out. Okay, like, I want to see what happens with that. Uh, her roommates are a little generic. Uh, the, you know. Her old roommate is more interesting. Yeah, Alicia. She she was like a, a transsexual... I think she... Uh, yeah. She, what was she, a blogger or, or something? Social activist. I don't know. But, I mean, she, she was more interesting than these two girls whose names I can't even remember at the moment. But, I mean... We can, we can give them time. We They're get supporting three cast. characters that we didn't really recognize, and now we recognize them by the end of the issue. That's good. Yeah, That's and I mean, count. her, her and the the fact that the nemesis she fights here also has like cybernetic perfect recall, and all of the information is in his head. So, and just like I'm not going to spoil it, but the way that she solves the problem is so Batgirl. Like that is she what I expect. Smarts him. Yes, she does. That is Barbara beat Gordon. Beat him up. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, she, she does beat him. Beat him up. <laughs> she does beat him up because like he's he's a gross. Person and I mean, like again, it's a very ripped from the headline sort of thing because there are people who do revenge porn, yeah, but which is gross on so many levels. But the the fact that at the end of the day, it's her intelligence that solves the problem. That is Barbara Gordon. Like that was the moment where I'm like, ha! Ah, I don't even care that she's not Oracle anymore. That's like that's what I want to see. Yeah, you know. So I'm I'm I, in. I'm finally in for Bad Girl. Yeah. After. Ever since the Brian Q. Miller launch, which I really like, you know, there was no other version. Was that Cassandra Steph- Kane or? No, Stephanie Brown. Stephanie Brown. I didn't really like Cassandra Kane, the series. I liked the concept, didn't like the series. Stephanie Brown, Bad Girl was a great series. I'll be honest with you, I preferred her as Robin. For all that it ended, no, no, like, I, catastrophically. I, uh, I don't really care if she was Bad Girl or Robin. That series was great. There right. was the one issue where she travels to England to help the squire and they run into all the Beatles reference one after another. <laughs> There was the issue where she and Supergirl team up, and they go to the cinema, and some science thing goes wild, and 14 virtual Draculas jump <laughs> from the cinema screen, and they're all talking Bella Lugosi alone, uh, you know, cliches, yeah. and they have to fight, four, not 14, I think 27 virtual Draculas in one issue. 
This is pre New Fifty Two, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a great series. <sighs> you know, anyway, I like this version of Bad Girl. I do. Great art, uh, done in one plot for the first issue. A promise yeah. of an ongoing plot. Yeah. New characters. Sure. For the first time, I can honestly say, like, you know, I want to read a Batgirl comic. I'm gay. But that's an achievement in and of itself. Okay, and the last new number one for this week? Last uh, new number this one for this episode. week is Image Comics. Yes, of course. Wow. We always have to do an image number one. Well, if they would stop putting out number ones, we wouldn't have anything to report, now would we? Witches. Witches. With a Y. With a Y. Because, because Scott Snyder is so big right now. He's so he, metal. No, that he doesn't have to spell check. He's, <laughs> you know, he, whatever he does, you know, sales-wise, turns it to gold. Nobody dares tell him no, you know. It's not only that. I want to do witches, and I want to spell yeah. it with a Y. Witches with a Y. It's like, is it 1990? What are you talking about? Witches and with I a want y. to use Z instead of yes. Uh, Scott, I want to use Z. Okay, Scott. Yeah. When you have, like, blood strike with a Y, <laughs> it's like, oof. Scorn with two Ks. No! Scorn with two Ks, two R's, and two N's. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned Scott Snyder. Nobody says no to him. Did you hear about this? This the uh, money thing. The, the money thing. He's currently like one. an industry hero because apparently uh, Marvel. Tra- uh, no, DC Marvel. wanted to raise. DC the price wanted. Of- yeah, well, they wanted to raise the price of Batman from three ninety nine to four ninety nine. Yeah, the Endgame arc. Scott Snyder ain't having it. Apparently, he sat down with with his artist, whose name I'm Greg Capullo. Greg Capullo, and they're like, "You are not going to charge people five dollars for for a comic." I I'm not doing it, and uh, it worked. Because he can, because yeah. he's their moneymaker. As if people did not love Scott Snyder enough for doing American Vampire, which... Okay, well, I'm going to get into that comparison. And Severed, and The Wake, yeah. and Batman, yeah. and... Let's talk about Scott Snyder, yeah. art, art by, by Jock. Jock. Uh, yeah. Here's the thing about I'm not Jock. so happy about that. Jock does very good images. Yeah. He... For a, for a horror comic. He's the perfect artist to do a And this is a horror comic. Like, yeah. Let's clarify that. A cover for a horror comic. I don't think he's the best artist for depicting actual movement, panel to yeah. panel. I mean... Anyway. He's good with static, disturbing imagery. But this book does not only rely on static, disturbing imagery. There's movement and, and dynamic uh, uh, activity here that doesn't really... I wanted to read this issue because... Wait, well, let's tell them what the plot's about because... The plot's about. We neglected it. Yes. So, this girl, Sailor... Moves to a new place. Oh my god, that's a theme. We we, yeah. we, we didn't intend it. It's a theme. It's another girl who moves to a new place story. But I mean, well, l- listen... Clarion isn't a girl. But, huh? Clarion isn't a girl. Clarion isn't a girl, but... Uh, so, so silver, Not Silverlock, uh... The uh, uh, the new girl from Gotham yeah, Academy. It's a, fe- it's a theme in this. And Wayward, and you know, yeah. okay. There seems to be a pattern here of girls going to new places, but okay, you know, whatever. Uh, so sh- this girl, Sailor, Sail, not Sailor. No, her full name is Sailor. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sailor Moon. Her no. current Sailor. Yes. If her last name had been Moon, I think people would have been like Scott Snyder. What are you doing? But anyway, so she moves to this new place, and it's immediately clear that like there's some kind of Darkness in her past. But unlike other examples of, you know, mysterious girls with darkness in their past, we actually find out what it is in the first issue. Yeah. Yay for Her father is an artist. Her mother is in a wheelchair. Again, mm-hmm. we don't know why. And they're moving to, like, Midwestern small town thing. Yeah. Based on Scott Snyder's childhood memories, apparently, from the back matter. Mm-hmm. And we discover that she was involved in the disappearance of another girl, a bully, in her previous hometown. But disappearance as far as everyone else is concerned. As far as we know, yeah. And there are witches. Yeah, with a Y. Yeah, uh, you've read the back matter? 
Uh, I skimmed over it. I I've read it, and here's the weird thing. He basically spoils the point of the series. So I'm glad I didn't read it. <laughs> because he tells us why there's a witches with a Y in oh, that thing. Which so don't not, tell me. Don't tell it, me. Yes, yes. It's not explaining the issue. In the actual issue, it's just weird goings-on, creepy things, and yeah. moody. And then you read the back and you're like, oh, so now I know. <laughs> uh, I don't think you understand how the back matter thing is supposed to work, Scott. Yeah, it's like, uh, maybe say that for the end of the trade. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> maybe, or maybe it's not important. Maybe it's really not important. But to me, it seems like you revealed a big plot point. Oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, so the Scott Snyder, series. I really liked this first issue. And part of the reason I liked it is because... I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of American Vampire. This is the Vertigo series that Scott Snyder does. And one of the reasons that I like it is because he's basically redeeming vampires. For a very long time, it's been hard to, to think of vampires as legitimately threatening, legitimately frightening characters because Stephanie Meyer and Anne Rice before that and like all of that, right? And Buffy? No, Buffy didn't. I'm I mean, sorry, Angel. Angel was the exception, though. Whedon actually worked against the paradigm because his vampires were animals. Yeah. Like, you, with the exception of, like, Angel and Spike, she never had to feel guilty for killing them. You've mentioned Bob Chipman earlier because he had that great point about after reading Twilight, he, he, he was never a big fan of Buffy, but after reading Twilight, he said, oh, okay, I see how bad it could have gone. Yeah. So now I'm happy that Buffy existed the way it did. So, exactly. Okay, okay. Like, you know, I'm, I'm that he worked against that, but unfortunately, Buffy is no longer the dominant paradigm for vampire stories. It's Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. Which, ooh, I wouldn't know. We are not going to get into talking about Twilight. So, that is, this is not that podcast. But the thing about. But American Vampire redeemed to a very large extent. Like, Snyder's vampires are human on the one hand, but on the other hand, like, Skinner Sweet, scary. Like, they're threatening, they're intimidating, they are not sex objects in any way, shape, or form. So, like, I feel like if that became the norm for vampires, they would be uh, figures of fear again. Well, and we're, here... We're pendulum swings, because we also have Strain on TV, which is apparently very popular, and it's Guillermo del Toro, so I assume nothing sexy is going on there. No, but it's a terrible show, unfortunately. Ah, okay. It's like, you know, I mean, have you seen the first season? No, I'm, I'm not a big TV guy, so I Ugh. basically skip anything that's not Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> if you have to watch one show, watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Thank you. Why am I bringing in this comparison to American Vampire? Witches have also not traditionally been scary, the f- right? The problem with witches is that the myth of the witch as a monster is so misogynist and so tied to actual historical, you yeah. know... Well, that depends on... I'm um, sorry, because at this point, you know, whenever you say you see a witch, you know, you automatically think about actual historical murders of innocent women and men done, you know, by yeah. religious zealots. That's the Salem You know, vampires, vampirism isn't really being related to people in England killing Romanians in the 19th century, at least. I mean, listen, there has always been, like, you know, the, the argument the same, that Bram Stoker, you know, Dracula is, like, xenophobic. Because yeah, but... He, it's general xenophobia, the, the thing, not actual burning people alive xenophobia. I mean, which is... There have been, like, scary witches and witches as antagonists that do not descend from the Salem archetype, right? There are, like, the more Eastern and, and Russian traditions. You see a lot of this in uh, Hellboy, for example. Yeah, the Baba Yaga now. Yeah, I mean, so, so there are sort of, like, uh, figures that avoid that whole context. There was a very good witch characters in Fables. So sure. Talking about yeah, that. you know, I, uh, which uh, Frau Totenkinder yeah. is, like, you know. And she's, like, the archetypal witch in the woods, right? But she's not a character who is seen through a mis- misogynistic lens. Yes. 
Even though she does end up like you know she's becoming young and showing her boobs, so yeah. no. But she she's a monster. But like all the Fables characters, she's a monster. We identify with. Yeah, her, I mean, and, well, it's it's because Bill Willingham lets us see things from her point of view. So yes. you know that's okay, so that's witches. fine. So if Snyder can redeem witches as figures of fear in the way that he has with vampires, I'm all for it. Okay. I say do it. The problem I have with this is that I never really liked horror comics because. I can't be scared of them because comic, unlike say a film, is not very immersive medium. Right. You can't. You know. You don't have the. I'm sitting alone in the theater. Uh, the big black around me, and the screen is the only point of light. So I have mm-hmm. to immerse myself in the events of the screen. You know, a comic is always. You know, you move your your eye a little to the side, and yeah. you're not in it. Although so a co- there there have been comics that I like that are defined as horror comics, but I've never. Anything that Chris Bacalo has ever done <laughs> art for, you turn that page like, what is that? Oh, but wait. I've, I've is never, that Storm? I've, oh, my God. I've never, you know, finished <laughs> a work on like, I'm too disturbed to sleep right now. No. no it's, and, it's... And, and that's a problem if you're trying to do a horror series. Unless you're going to the horror comedy route, which is, you know... Uh, there are different kinds of, of horror, though. Yeah. But this is meant to be scary, oppressive, you know, cosmic horror thing. I don't know if that's true. Well, the witch... Like, what we see in the first issue is not... I mean, it's sort of like if you've seen... Have you ever read Freaks of the Heartland? No. Okay. I mean, sort of that idea of, like, you know, you're in the Midwest, you're in sort of, like, the Bible Belt, where, like, a whole lot of screwed up stuff happens on a daily basis regardless. This whole idea of, you know, there's something in the woods, something really creepy that you cannot fully see, like, with your own eyes, right? Because, like, you, you see sort of... Aspects of the witches here, but yeah. not you, you. don't see it. It's more of a you know that movie. I'm sorry, the movie with the witch, Blair Witch. Yeah, yeah, Blair Witch. Blair Witch, Witch. Yeah, and, uh, which I mean, listen, I mean, when which, you, which, 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 Blair Witch Project doesn't hold up when you watch it like 15 years later, but at the time, it was scary. Yeah, and it was scary because you never because you never saw the witch because you got nauseated in the middle. Yeah, well, you know, I never had that problem with, with, but I mean, whatever. I mean, the the thing that like, you are hearing these people running around with their cameras screaming, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? And the camera never actually shows you what the hell is that? There's this scene. They're like, they're running through the woods in the middle of the night. And suddenly, like, out of the blue, she starts screaming, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? And the camera doesn't turn. And here also, we never see the witches. Yeah, which and, is a great and it's way. It's better of, because you know the scariest thing in the world is nothing. our imagination. Yes, you know it's it's a lot scarier. I like Snyder. I I, just, I do. I trust. He's one of those writers that I feel like I can trust him with new stories. I'm not the biggest Snyder fan. I haven't read enough American Vampire, so I. You should try his uh, short story collection. Okay, Voodoo Heart. Uh, but you know he's he's pretty good. He has yeah. a distinct voice. In a world of creators whose voice is basically drawn out by the editors. Mm-hmm. And... Well, I mean, again, it's an image book. So my yeah. assumption... I, I like to imagine, like, image editors are just, like, sitting there and, like, Scott Snyder calls them and was like, so I want to do this thing with... Sure. You know. Yeah. You never have a problem getting projects approved with image. Like, yeah, yeah sure, let's do the it. Jo- the jock art, I think, will be a problem. They work together on Batman on the uh, Commissioner Gordon short story. The one never with it's it's a pretty creepy story, but uh, you know only as creepy as comics can allow. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah, I and he's not bad, but I don't like his style for an ongoing comics because no. I don't see the panel progression. The panel progression, and also like he has a tendency to everything is over dramatic in the and less defined also. Yeah. 
Sailor, right, the protagonist. Uh, I can't, like, trying now to recall what she looks like, all I see is, like, this big smear of red. Which, you know, is, like, when you can't make your characters distinct enough, in, in terms of art, like, in terms of, of storyline, she already has more going for her than the protagonist of Wayward did in the first issue. Okay, Like, yeah. comparatively speaking. Or, uh, 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 what was her name? Rush Limits? Uh, not Rush Limit. I was actually thinking of Copperhead. Oh, okay. Like, you know, because in Copperhead, you don't know what her backstory is. And here, it's like, you know, Snyder manages to show you in the context of the issue, yeah, this was her thing, right? She saw this bully, you know, something happened to her. I'm not going to spoil it, but, like, you know... Talking about things, that's three redheads in a row. Barbara, the Copperhead woman, and... Sure. And her. Sure, yeah, I know. Okay. So, it's, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, like, I agree with you that horror comics are not super effective. But on the other hand, it could still make for a good story. So yep. I say... And as, yep. and I like Jock's designs. His actual design work, I yeah. think, is good. Uh, unless we're talking somebody like Bacalo or Ashley Wood. Yeah. I mean... Uh, oh, talking about people who have no, uh, no you know, style for comics. My, my, one, my one encounter with Ashley Wood... Was Ghost Rider twenty ninety nine that last the arc? No. The Invisibles. That last arc on, on Ghost Rider twenty nine was basically just like he took a can of paint and poured it on the page. Yeah, it's, it's Mark. It's like oh. Mark on Mark on Mark. That was so bad. It's like I don't and like you see you see speech bubbles, but I don't know where they're coming from. Somebody's talking. I don't know who they are. So yeah, um, I, I really like the bully character in this book because she's actually you know scary. allowed to be. A big, scary yeah. uh, girl, you know. And I mean, we were talking about, like, you know, there's bullying in Clarion, too. Yeah. But there's something... Like, that bullying was really sort of, like, the generic, cleaned up, you know... Pushing people and mocking them, and this is... Yeah. This was, like... she She's a psychopath. Yeah. Th- this bully. That actually got me... Like, would Clarion have worked better as a Vertigo book? Yeah. Well, it would have worked That's... better with a better plot. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot that you could have improved, but I kind of think, like, I have to wonder if maybe because, like, he's New 52, you have to be PG-13. Constantine has the same problem, right? I mean, Constantine will never be Hellblazer, but because Hellblazer got to do, you know, things that were legitimately shocking and not gratuitous. And here it's like, you know, Constantine, he's in the New 52, he's talking to Superman, so how dirty can you really make him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll finish So witches, I liked it. Yeah, we'll finish up with our regular feature trade review. Yes. And I chose this episode's number. <laughs> I chose Sabertooth Swordsman. Oh, God. And The Mayhem of the Malevolent Methodon Mathematician. Yeah. Written by uh, Damon Gentry with art by Aaron Conley. Uh, so, the plot of Sabertooth Swordsman. Yes, you will explain this because I can't. And the name of the malevolent Methodon mathematician, I have to say the whole title. Go ahead. Every time. Be my guest. Is there's this guy in apparently ancient India, and he has a girlfriend, and the malevolent Methodon mathematician, who's a local bad guy slaver, mm-hmm. kidnaps her because he kidnaps people for a living. And so that guy climbs to the top of Sasquatch Mountain, where the mysterious cloud god lives, and the cloud god turns him into the saber-tooth swordsman, which is after first going through a cycle of other less acceptable yeah. uh, combinations. And then he has to fight things for the whole of the series, and that's the end. Yeah, it's a fight comic. It's it's as close to plotless as you can allow. It's like 
that movie with Schwarzenegger, Commando, where <laughs> Get the first the five off. minutes is, yeah, no, no, it's a, like the first five minutes are, well, they kidnapped his daughter, and that's it, now it's violence. Yeah. And this comic is free form as you go, you know, <laughs> there isn't really any character, there isn't really any plot or story behind the most basic thing, which allows the creators to go wild with their imagination. I, I'd like to read you some of my notes. Okay. <clears throat> what? What? What the hell? Note to self. Ask Tom what on earth is going on on this page. What? What? Who? Why? What? Giant pelican. Giant pelican. Yes. Oh. Uh, naked cyclops. Yeah. I, two well, naked cyclops. Um, yeah, I, I was not a huge fan of this because the art is way too cluttered. There's a point... What was the name of the artist that did Mega City 2? I'm blanking uh, out. We covered him. Yeah, we covered him a few episodes out. ago. I don't remember the name, but like the, the art Ulysses was like... Ferenus. Ulysses Farinas. Ulysses yes. Yeah. So that was the, the, the first comparison that came to mind here, except that Farinas' art was like so clean and detailed and very, very crowded, but also like very, very and detailed. And he had the coloring to distinct. Yeah. Here, it's just like, what am I looking at? I... Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think so. I do think it would have looked a lot better with coloring. The style for me brings to mind uh, not Ulysses Farinas. It brings to mind James Stoko, who does Orkstein. Mm. Yes. 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 It has the same level of details, only, again, Orkstein is in color. And the reason I bought this trade paperback is because in Dark Horse Presents number one, the latest relaunch, there was a Sabretooth Swordsman uh, short mm. story in color. Right. And it looked amazing. In color. And here, I still think it looks amazing, but I understand your criticism of this is very, very busy. It's very busy, it's very confusing, and, but I, I mean, I don't think it's confusing. I, I'll acknowledge it's that, so like, simple. yeah, I'll acknowledge that, like, it's, it's more of a personal, my, my objection to this book is more like a personal preference because I like stories that I can make sense of. And here, like, you know, there, there isn't even a pretense of plot. It's like, no, let's just let the same It's a formalist experience. And I, sure. I, I admit that's the sort of thing that I like. You know, yeah. go, go wild with the form and the content will follow from you. Sure. It's just, you know, it's a random events plot and I guess I don't, and I don't really connect I'm sorry, with that. The designs here are great. Yeah. The cloud god is just a cloud, you know, yeah. with two hands. With two eyes. And the final boss monster is this huge crane cockroach thing with three heads that shoots lasers. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, the titular swordsman, that's a great design. There's, there's this part A guy with they, a saber-tooth head. Yeah, there's this part where they turn him into the saber-tooth swordsman, and the page stops to tell you about every single part of him. Right. His and, claw, you know, and his tooth, and, and his... And his sword, and, of course, the sweatpants, you know. Yeah. For maximum com- comfort, <laughs> you know. The very definition of comfort and mobility... Sweatpants. <laughs> uh, Chris Sims, when he reviewed it, mentioned that it's the first comics he read since Scott Pilgrim, which does the computer game thing. Which huh? basically takes computer game tropes and moves them to a comic form. There's well. no computer game tropes here. Of course there is. Not there. that I recognize. Of course there is. He gets super jump at one point, and he gets achievement unlocked, and... Uh, no. no? That, that's more like borrowing uh, a trope without actually using it because it's not not new computer games like I mean, 1980s if, Nintendo if games. Chris Sims is comparing this to Scott Pilgrim I mean Scott Pilgrim even the cinematic version you, they use video game tropes 
for a reason. Here, it's like, you know, the an achievement unlocked is apropos of nothing. If this were a video game plot, like, have to save my girlfriend from the evil monster, yeah. then I could say, like, okay, that's what it's doing. That's what it's that's doing. That's what it's, Scott Pilgrim It's Bad Dudes vs. Ninja's plot. It's Contra plot. It's Double Dragon plot. Even the, like, even Super Mario Brothers in the 1980s had a clearer plot than this. I mean... Because you have to have, like, some kind... Even if it's an excuse plot, right? Even if it's, like, the cheapest kind of princess has been locked in the tower by an evil wizard, go kill the evil wizard and his pet dragon. That's, like, the most basic video game plot in the world. That's not here, though. It's not even a subversion, because, like, his girlfriend, Jolene, has what presence in the story, exactly? Like... She's not even his girlfriend because, like, she's left him, I think is the implication, right? No, 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 no. Because he's constantly like, oh, Jolene, I miss you. No, 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 it's not, no, they, they see them together. And then in the end, she turns into a diamond. There's a short flashback. Yeah, no, there's a flashback of him, like, before he becomes a saber-sword swordsman. When she's kidnapped, she didn't left him, she, he was about to propose. That's the implication. That, then it doesn't come across clearly. Really? I I, I mean, that was a simple thing, okay. This was just sort of like, eh. Too random? Too random, too, you know. I I love this comic. For okay. me, it was a brilliant execution of intentionally weak plot because the creator said, here's the most basic thing we can think of. Boy saves girl. You right. Know, the most basic, ancient, heroic plot in the history of whatever. Mm-hmm. And here's what we can do with it formalistic-wise. We can change the monster and the setting and the character and add all sorts of little touches which mean absolutely nothing plot-wise but are great for the reader. And I love it. I think it's a great, okay. great comic. I think it's just not we're, my taste. We're divided, yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate, intellectually speaking, I can appreciate you know the formalistic experiment. As a reader, I can't really recommend it because if you are looking for a story, not here. You like Scott Jeff- Pilgrim had a story. You like Jeff Darrow comics? Jeff Darrow? Shaolin Cowboy, uh, Big Boy and Rusty. Uh, you know. Okay, so I think I saw the difference. Okay. Because I'm, a, I'm a huge Jeff Darrow fan. Oh, well. And I find myself lately more and more preferring the freeform comic over plot comics because mm-hmm. that's one thing that comics can do better than any other medium as far as I'm concerned, even yeah. more than movies because it's one creator doing his own visual brilliance thing. Right. One or two creators. You don't need the plot or characterization or anything. You just need, this is the medium. See what I can do. Right. And I love that sort of thing. You know, Shaolin Cowboy by the recent series was basically four issue long fight series with no variation, which I adored. I thought it was brilliant. Right. And I thought the same thing about this. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a ginormously successful comics. As far as you're concerned, it's a waste. Well, no, I wouldn't say, okay, like I said, I wouldn't call it a waste simply because it does have value for the reason that you state. But if you are not interested in just that, like if you want your comics, like comics can be freeform experiments and still have some kind of attempt at storytelling. Take the hint, Grant Morrison. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) oh no, Uh, but you know, like you can have that and have the freeform experiment. I don't see why one has to come at the expense of the other. If you could superimpose a better plot or tighter characterization or like more detail on the story level to the art that already exists in this book, it would be a lot better, I think. But, you know, uh, um, that's not what this book is. It's not what this book is meant to be. 
So I can appreciate it for what it is. I don't enjoy it on that level, though. Like, as a reader, I can't say, you know, I read it and I was like, <gasps> what's the next, you know, when's the next one coming out? You know, it's like, it's okay. The experiment is fine. But once you're done with the experiment, you don't really have any reason to go back for it. Okay. Uh, that was the smorgasbord. Yeah. So, four. Episode four, yeah. Well, four episodes in. We are moving up in the world. Yeah. Next week, we'll have our all new number one. No, I'm kidding. Oh. Number Not five, yet. but number five will have a scratch and sniff cover. <laughs> yes, it'll smell Still like. <laughs> I'm Tom Shapiro. And I'm Sean Edry. And we'll see you.